Hey, this is Minta, and you're listening to Mint, the podcast equipping you to run the race of faith well. I like to say that we meet at the intersection of real life and the Word of God. Together, let's find practical ways we can grow stronger in our faith, live according to truth, and love those around us. I love hearing from you. So if you've been impacted by the show or have a question or just need prayer, please drop me an email at the address listed in the show notes. Mint is listener supported, and we would be so honored if you would consider making a donation to help keep us on the airwaves. All donations are tax deductible. Simply head to our website for more details, www.amintageisler.com. Let's do this faith journey together. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited that you've joined me as we are continuing on in our series for this year called Walk With Me. And really, it's just an invitation from Jesus to live the way he lived and to dive deep into God's word and let what we are learning in the power of the Bible to let that transform our mind and our thoughts. So that's his invitation to us in Matthew 5 verses Matthew through Matthew 7, and it is my invitation to you. Walk with me. Let's do this faith journey together. That's what I sign off all my emails with, and I mean it. We need each other to walk out this faith journey. It is not easy, and so today we're going to dive into another section of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to start in Matthew 7, and we're going to talk about a well-known passage, Do Not Judge Others, and talking about the speck and the plank in the eye. And so, Oof, this scripture can be so convicting, but I hope that you will take my hand and walk with me as we go into the next portion of this text. Will you pray with me before we start? God, I just thank you so much for who you are, and I thank you for how you love us, and I thank you for the power of your word to transform us. So God, we come before you this morning, or whenever it is that we're listening, and we say, God, give us eyes to see you, give us ears to hear you, and give us hearts that are courageous enough to walk out what we're learning from you. Thank you for your word. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, Matthew 7 uh, can be pretty good passages, and I want you to repeat after me, no matter where you are, this message is for me. This message is for me. It's so easy to hear this next section and be like, ooh, I know who this would be good for. (laughs) But I really want us in this passage to just take a good look at ourselves and say, oof, is there any of this in me that I need to work on this? All right, let's read it together. I'm just going to start by reading um, our portion of scripture for today, and then we'll go back through it section by section and dissect it together. All right. And as right before I read, I just want to say, we just came off talking about the section, the section about treasure. And where are you storing your treasure? Are you storing it up here on earth? Or are you storing it up in heaven where it cannot be destroyed? And Jesus was talking about money because he wants us to seek him with our whole heart, right? Jesus wants our whole heart. This whole Sermon on the Mount that we're talking about is aimed at how do we live a sold out life? What does it look like to be truly righteous. And so he lays that out and then he tells us, here's the prayer to pray. If you want to live truly righteous and it's Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. And now he had, he heads into a section where it's like, and here's the warnings against what can trip you up. Right. And so last time we talked about money because money can trip you up. 
It can compete for mastery of your heart. And now we're going to talk about another thing today that can trip you up, can clog up your heart, can stop the godly righteousness from flowing through you, right? That mercy and that purity and that peacemaking, and that is judgment. And so Jesus is addressing the next thing that could stop us from living truly sold out, godly righteousness filled lives. So let's, let's read Matthew chapter seven, verse one. Do not judge others and you will not be judged for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Don't waste what's holy on people who are unholy and don't throw your pearls to pigs. They'll trample the pearls and then turn and attack you. Keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For anyone who asks, receives. And anyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You, parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. And this is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. And finally, verse 13, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and the gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and few will find it. All right, well, let's jump in. To the first verses, Matthew 7, 1 through 6 really addresses judging others. And the the judge word, the word used for judge here in the Greek implies condemnation for other people or strong disapproval or punishment. So what God is saying here is don't punish people. Don't treat them badly. Don't you be the judge of what they deserve and then you act out the punishment yourself. God alone is judge. I'm going to flip to Romans. You're going to hear my Bible pages turning. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. You may think that you can, can condemn such people, but you're just as bad. And you have no excuse. When you say they're wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. And since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same thing? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? See, God is judge, and he's a patient and kind judge that we might turn to repentance. But it's not our job to look at people and judge their sin. That is his job alone. I'm now going to turn to 1 Corinthians 4, chapter 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. So don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns, for he will bring our darkest secrets to light and he will reveal our private motives. Then God will give to each whatever praise is due. 
See, God and God alone sits on the throne and he gets to judge and he's the one that will enact punishment. He's the one that will do that. That's not our job. And why is this here? Because see, when we're truly righteous and we're living that way, it's really easy to look at the people around us and make judgments on how they're living their life. And that can trip us up because we're taking God's place when we do that. When we condemn others, when we act, when we ignore them or we punish them or we put them in their place or we make sure we make comments at them, we are taking that condemnation into our own hands. And that word, that word for punish and condemn, that's a word that's reserved in the Bible for God. That is his duty, not ours. And then next, why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? I've always just loved that visual that, man, if I'm looking at somebody else's sin, my eyes are on the wrong thing. They might have a little speck in their eye, but I got a plank in mine. Isn't that funny? Just picture like a big old log and then a tiny little splinter. And it's like we spend so much time worrying about that tiny little splinter of somebody else's when we got a big old log of our own that we need to be dealing with. And, and Jesus calls it out right here. He says, hypocrite. And that's what the danger is of looking at other people's sin because we're all sinners. It makes us hypocrites when we call out other people. It makes us a hypocrite. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a hypocrite. And Jesus speaks a lot about this, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, because the religious leaders of the day and the Pharisees were all hypocrites. I'm going to flip to Matthew 23, verses 1 through 7. Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their examples for they don't practice what they preach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and they never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. Yikes. We don't want to be people like that. And then further down in Matthew 23 verses 23, through 26, it says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and Pharisees, hypocrites? For you're careful to tithe the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the most important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but don't neglect the more important things. And then later in verse 25, it says, You're so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence, you blind Pharisee. First wash the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will become clean too. So Jesus is warning us, hey, don't think your righteousness is better than anybody else's. Don't look around and say, I'm good enough. I'm better than everybody else I see. Don't call out other people's sin and think it's worse than yours. Because that makes you a hypocrite. And this is really a call to humility, which is one of the Beatitudes. It's one of the eight Beatitudes that we would have a posture of humility before the Lord. That man, we are sinners and we need grace and we are nothing without him. And we are open to hearing where we need to make changes. That we don't think we're better than anybody else. And so these first warnings are like, hey, not your job to enact punishment and it's not your job to think you're better than everybody else just because you're walking out godly righteousness. Beware of that, because that's what happened to the Pharisees. It tripped them up and they fell. And then finally, verse 6, don't waste what's holy on people who are unholy and don't throw your pearls to pigs. They'll trample the pearls and turn and attack you. What are they saying about the pearls and the pigs? 
And finally, this is a call to discernment. Okay, it's saying now, judging others in a way that leads to condemning is wrong and thinking you're better than others is wrong, but don't throw out all judgment completely. Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. You still have to use discernment about who you listen to and who you let speak into your life and who you spend your time on and where you make your investments. Don't just waste it on bad things. Don't invest in things that aren't going to help you. Don't listen to and take spiritual advice from people that are corrupt, right? So the warning here is like, please don't be a condemning person or think you're better than everybody, but also please don't throw out all judgment completely and just start listening to the Pharisees and start listening to the religious leaders because that is not having discernment. That's throwing your pearls to pigs. And Jesus had to say that because the religious leaders of the day were corrupt and the people were listening to the corrupt leaders of the day. And Jesus is saying, uh-uh, don't, don't let those people speak into you and corrupt you. Don't spend your time and your money on them. That's not discerning. You have to have discernment. There's a certain type of judgment that's okay, and it's discernment. And we need that today, my friends. We need discernment because we need to know in a world that is full of corruption— And where even leaders claiming to be Christian leaders are subtly preaching versions of the truth that are not actually truth, we need to know. And how do we know? Well, I like to turn to John 15, and it says that we we would abide in the vine, right? We need to live in Jesus's word. We need to abide in the vine, be connected to the vine and in his word. And then in the very next chapter of John 16, it also says that the Holy Spirit will guide us into truth. And so when we are living connected to the vine, when we're in God's word, and when we ask the Holy Spirit to give us discernment, the Bible says the Spirit will give us discernment and we will be able to know when we're listening to something that isn't right. He will give us that discernment that we need. And I think you all know what I'm talking about here because have you ever listened to like a Christian speaker or read something that somebody posted and you're like, "Mm, I actually think that that's what that means. Like God didn't promise that or that's not what the Bible means or no, that's a little more health, wealth, prosperity or something like that. That's the Holy Spirit in us going, "Mm." but in order for that to become more strong, we got to ask the Spirit to be with us and speak to us. And we got to be in the Word because it will always line up with the Word, right? We can always trust God's Word. And so when you know the Word, then when you hear things that don't line up with it, then you will have discernment about what not to do. And I've used this analogy before, but it's like the FBI agents who study counterfeit money, they to find it so that they can get it out of the system. Well, they study real money so that they're so familiar with real money that the second they see a counterfeit bill, they're like, it's a fake. And that's how we have to do it. We have to study the word of God so well that when we hear false truth, we know it right away and we can discard it. We can use discernment over it. So that's why that little passage about the pearls to pigs is in there because Jesus is saying, well, here's the three things that could trip you up in this area. And I just want you to be careful not to condemn people, right? You're, you're, you're not here to condemn. You're here to be merciful and kind and be pure and be a peacemaker. So that's how that ties back to the Beatitudes. And then he says, and you, you are to be humble. That's how that ties back. You're not to think you're better than others. And then finally, but don't throw out every type of judgment. Keep that discernment piece. Live according to the spirit so that it doesn't trip you up. 
And that's how he's trying to protect our hearts, protect our righteousness, that it doesn't get train wrecked. All right, moving on to Matthew 7, verse 7. And this section is all about persistence. It's all about persistence in prayer. Keep asking and you'll receive. Keep seeking and you'll find. Keep knocking and the door will open to you. And this passage reiterates everything, right? It says it twice. You will receive. You will find. The door will open. And then it says, because God is a good father. He's not sinful like us, and he knows how to give good gifts. So there's like eight reasons in this little tiny paragraph of why we can keep persisting. Because God is there, and he's listening, and he's taking care of us. And now, I do want to point out, this is one of the most misinterpreted verses in all of the Bible. This is not a, hey, ask for whatever you want, and just keep asking for whatever you want, and God's going to give it to you. That's not what he's saying. This is not a, if I pray a thousand times and I don't give up, hey, Lord, I really want a really nice, fun car. This is not a guarantee that you will get that. But what it is, is if you will pursue this godly righteousness, if you will pursue it as hard as you can, I promise you, you will find it. I promise you, my spirit will fill you up and you will overflow with godly righteousness. I promise that. That's what he's saying. You can overcome this love of money. You can overcome your judgmental tendencies. You can live according to my will and seek my kingdom first. And if you keep pursuing me in that way, if you're like an athlete who won't give up, if you continue to chase me, if you continue to pray the Lord's Prayer, I promise you that I will meet you in that place and that I will fill you up with godly righteousness and that you will overflow into the world around you and be salt and light. That is the promise there. And so I just wanted to point that out because I think sometimes we think, well, the Bible says to just keep praying about it or the Bible says to just keep seeking it and I'll get it. And it isn't a catch-all for whatever we want. This is a promise for when we are trying to live as God intended for us, all in, seeking his kingdom, that's where he'll meet us. That's where he's going to provide. That's where he will make sure. And God is so infinitely good. He's so wise. He's so pure. He's so just. He's so righteous. He's so holy that what he brings you will be better. Right? When we seek his way, it's always going to be better. There's an assurance here that when we seek him, he's going to give us the good gifts and it will be his gifts. And I don't know about you, but I know there are times in my life I can look back and be like, well, I'm sure glad God didn't answer that prayer because my life would be totally different or it'd be totally bad or that would have been a horrible decision thing that I prayed for. God really protected me from that. And, and that just shows like when we pray, don't pray for what you want necessarily. You're, it's your will, God. Use me for your life, for your purpose. And that is the prayer that he's going to get answered every time. That's where he's going to meet us. And the Bible gives some reasons why we don't always get everything that we ask for. And in 1 John chapter 5, it says that when we ask for anything according to his will, then it's given to us. So when we pray for things in our own will, sometimes that doesn't get answered. But when we pray for God's will to get done, that always gets answered. And then 1 John 3, it says that when we obey and do what he asks, then 
he answers our prayers. So there's an obedience portion to this. And then in James chapter 4, verse 3, it says, when we ask for things, we don't get it because our motives are wrong. We only want what is pleasure, not what God's purpose is for us. And also in James 1, it, uh, verses 5 through 7, it says, when we ask, we don't receive because we have divided loyalty. Because part of our heart wants what God wants, but part of our heart wants what our earthly, fleshly desires want. And that's a divided loyalty. So right, that speaks back to the pure in heart of being godly righteous. That So those are some of the reasons that our prayers don't get answered. But what God is saying here is, hey, if you pray, pray in my will and you live according to my way and you're seeking my kingdom and you're obeying me, that, those are the prayers where I'm going to meet you and I, you will find me. You will receive what you're asking for. I just think that that is so powerful. And then moving on to verse 12, it's kind of what's known as the golden rule. Right. And Jesus is so good at taking complicated ideas in scripture and just simplifying them for the people. And it's what he does here. And it's this do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. And this is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. What an incredible summary. Jesus just had a way of simplifying and freeing it up. And it was revolutionary. And it was so freeing for the people because instead of thousands of rules and sacrifices and demands, Jesus is saying, hey, just love people like I love you and like you want to be loved. Just do that. That's what I have for you. That's what walking out godly righteousness looks like. Just do to others as you would have them do to you. Love people the way you want to be loved. You can do it. And it's not because it's about a bunch of rules. It's not because you have to earn your way in. It's just what the kingdom of God looks like. This is what godly righteousness is going to look like. It's going to flow out of you. And you, you just love people. You don't judge them. You don't condemn them. You don't worry about your own way. You just love how I love you. And then that is what I have for you. It's just so good. And finally, verses 13 and 14, the narrow gate. You can enter God's kingdom through only the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and the gate is wide, but the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and few ever find it. And after reading this far in the Sermon on the Mount, can't you see why? This is such a radically different lifestyle than the rest of the world is living and what they're chasing and what they're about and where they're storing their treasures and how they're treating people. Because it's easier to live the worldly way than it is to live God's way. It is easier to have anger than it is to forgive and be a peacemaker. It's easier to chase earthly pleasure and fun and treasure than it is to store up your treasures in heaven and have eternal vision. It's easier to seek your own will than to live according to God's will. It's easier to judge people than it is to give them grace and mercy and kindness and let God do the judging. See, the the road that Jesus is asking us to walk here in the Sermon on the Mount is not easy. In fact, when you listen to this whole series, it's like, whoa, God, this is, this is a lot. This is really different. This is going to cost me something. This is sacrificial. This actually isn't even fair. 
Like I have to love people who are mean to me. I have to go without when everybody else is going with and and I have to forgive when a person doesn't deserve it and and I can't have maybe some of the fun toys that other people have. Like God, really? Why? Why? And Jesus is saying here, because this is the way. This is how I know that you're true followers and it's worth it. And I just want to read a story out of Luke chapter 9. And it's verse 23. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And Jesus is telling his disciples Hey, I'm about to go. And he says, the son of man must suffer many terrible things. And he's going to be rejected by the elders and the priests and the teachers of the religious law. And he'll be killed. But on the third day, he'll be raised. So he's telling his disciples this. And Peter's like, no, Jesus, this isn't going to happen. And then Jesus says to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the angels. And so really, that's what Jesus is laying out for us. This is what it looks like to take up our cross and follow is to be a person filled with godly righteousness that flows with mercy and purity and peacemaking in this world and seeks the kingdom of God above all else and doesn't store up treasures on earth and is so loving and kind and doesn't condemn those around them. He's saying that's a cross and when you carry it, I will give you heaven. But it isn't easy. And so now for next our next episode, we're going to go into kind of the why, why it's worth it, why we should pursue it. What is at stake here? And Jesus is going to finish up by giving us kind of this rally call of why it's so important that we live now according to all of these things that we've learned, even though it's hard, even though it costs and it's sacrificial and it's not going to look like what everybody else is doing. It's because the road is wide, but the gate is narrow. And we're going to go more into that next week. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for who you are. God, you alone are worthy of all the glory and the honor and the praise. God, I just pray that you would make us people who have discernment, but not people who are condemning or who are hypocritical. Lord, give us humble spirits as we walk out righteousness. Help us to look like you. Help us not to make judgments on the people around us who don't live according to your truth. Help us to love them like you do and trust that you will be the judge someday. God, I thank you for the power of your words. Let it grow down deep into our hearts and make us more like you. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to Mint, the podcast dedicated to making spiritual things practical. If you want more information about Mint or Reckless Abandoned Ministries, you can just head to our website at www.amintageisler.com for more information.